0: Welcome to this week's episode of Margaritas with Margarita Cheng, CFP Pro. We know you are going to love today's guest. Liz Simi is the co-founder of Honey Tree Investment Management. She's based up in Toronto. And our topic is everything you need to know about ESGs, which are environmental, social, and corporate governance. So take it away, Miss Rita. Well,
1: thank you so much, Hope, and welcome, Liz. We are so excited that you are here with us today.
2: I am thrilled to be here with both of you.
1: So we are going to talk about ESG, so let's just jump right into it. I don't like to use a lot of acronyms without explaining what they are. Hope did a great intro, but if you don't mind, for our viewers and listeners, what is ESG?
2: ESG has a lot of definitions, and it's a very confusing acronym for everybody inside the investment industry and outside of the investment industry, but ultimately what it means is environmental, social, and governance factors related to companies, big and small, not just publicly listed ones. And and I like to describe it as all the non-financial factors. You know, when we're in the investment world, we traditionally think of financial uh, outputs and inputs that a corporation has. ESG really encapsulates all of the non-financial inputs and outputs that a company has. And they actually don't fit nicely in ESG buckets. That's one of the big problems with the acronym. Inputs and outputs that a company has all overlap. They're all complex. They all overlap with financials as well. And so ESG, it separates things like worker safety and uh, you know taking care of the environment from the operations of a company, when in fact, those are the operations of a company. But when people say ESG, they're really referring to the non-traditional financial factors that we look at in terms of company reporting performance and, and how they'd operate. So that's that's the quick answer, but we could talk about it for 100 years. Um, it's, it's such a complex topic.
1: No, I love it. And that was so helpful. So why, in your opinion, on this could be looking in or being in the industry, are investors interested in ESG and impact-related investment products and strategies?
2: There's a whole bunch of reasons. It started a long, a number of decades ago, with mainly religious investors working on things like gun safety, the apartheid, um, and various activities where they were very specifically saying, you know, if we're trying to do good in the world, we want to also do good with our investments, whatever that good looks like, and however we achieve that. Um, and it has evolved to a whole bunch of options. So, so the original we'll call it the original apartheid focused religious investors evolved into SRI. So socially responsible investing, where we began excluding companies in in investment portfolios um, that did stuff that was deemed bad, you know, whether that's tobacco or weapons or, um, you know, the the Catholic groups, for example, would uh, exclude companies involved in anything related to abortion or birth control. Um, So there's actually a whole bunch of different angles to this, and it's very fascinating, but as it's evolved even more, companies have started reporting relatively standardized data that, you know, whether it is worker safety or, or the, the, you know, the weapons they produce, but also their diversity. So now, you know, five years ago, most companies didn't report their workforce diversity. Now, the majority of S&P 500 or publicly listed companies are reporting standardized Workforce diversity data standardized water use emissions um, and then by the way these are these are not just data sets that are fun that they're estimating that they're making up they are getting to be assured and externally validated by auditors just like their financials would be so but where we've evolved is ESG now when we say an ESG fund or an ESG investing we're usually talking about a mix of uh, exclusions so cutting out tobacco and and weapons and things like that, but also the positive side of it. So investing in companies, improving their diversity, investing in companies, reducing their emissions, investing in companies that, you know, our framework is who are stakeholder governed, who are are taking care of their stakeholders and are making money while they do it. And that, you know, that goes against a lot of traditional beliefs, you know, that companies are, can actually do good while making money but you can see how the the investor has also kind of evolved you know if you're if you're a passive investor that's part of your values if you're a you know you like the new ipos that's part of your values and and so you see the same stuff happening in esg land as i like to call it and so there's a broad there's no right way to do esg there's no right way to invest there's lots of wrong ways to do it and there's lots of wrong ways to invest but it's uh it's a very fascinating space and it's really about making products and investment portfolios that meet the end client's needs, uh, whatever those needs may be.
1: So true. And as you mentioned, you know, even just investing, just just regular investing without the ESG screens and, and filters, um, there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way. But what really matters is what aligns with the investor's goals, objectives, and uh, values. So this is a big question. You know, I'm based in Maryland, very close to the DC line. Is ESG political?
2: ESG is both political and completely non-political. I, I like to say, you know, nobody wants to kill employees. Doesn't matter which party you're in. Um, any well-run business understands that employee safety is directly linked to the bottom line. Every company understands that the EPA is going to find them if they, you know, dump a whole bunch of stuff into a river. That has nothing to do with politics. You know, when we get into diversity and things like that, um, or even renewables, states like Texas are leaders in renewables. Countries like China are leaders in renewables. States like Texas also have some leadership in the areas of equity inclusion, even though they might want to not might not want to admit it. Um, but it's, you know, the well-run companies all around the world understand that their workforce plays an important role in the local community. There's a uh, societal benefit, which leads to a company benefit for more women, for example, being in leadership roles and having a higher pay. Right. And so well-run companies, regardless of the political beliefs of the founders or where they're founded, understands that working, you know, um, reasonable minimum wages, all these kind of things that that are not political in any way, shape or form. Does stuff get, you know, kind of grouped together and, you know, gun safety is a really great example or guns, you know, does that overlap with political? Sure. Um, There's not that many gun companies or, or weapons companies out there too. So the idea that it's a, you know, a huge issue, there are certainly overlaps with politics. People need to, you know, get past the political rhetoric to see what's actually going on in companies all over the place and and how they're driving change.
1: No, that is so well said. And I think the other thing that's really challenging for people, what one person believes to be socially responsible could be socially irresponsible for everyone else. But that's why it's important to have different strategies to appeal to the needs of different investors. So as we wind down our conversation, this is a big question. How is ESG data? Being standardized and how is it being used uh, for reporting to help both corporations and the investors?
2: Probably the most complex question, and I don't even think most ESG folks know the answer to this. The U.S. is actually driving it, and I think I surprise a lot of people when I say that the U.S. is driving it because folks think it's Europe or Canada's a bit of a mess. But Europe was the European companies were the first ones to start reporting we'll call it sustainability data because of the mandates in the big pensions and a, we'll call it a little more they, they were they were a little earlier on uh, being involved in we'll call it the esg reporting space and and the evolution of that fast forward and this was i don't know 20 years ago um sustainalytics and msci and all those companies kind of got started around then um and and building large data sets the u.s though The Department of Labor specifically uh, mandated reporting for companies over 50 Um, It is specifically a Hispanic initiative, but it's in California, but it's the EEO1 reports. So all companies in the U.S. for quite a while now have had to disclose to the Department of Labor their workforce diversity by gender and racial background by level. Lots of companies refused to release that data publicly, but lots of other companies started releasing it publicly and started putting it into reporting. And that allowed the U.S. listed companies to leapfrog Europe because Europe was only reporting gender diversity and not in detail and not in any truly standardized way. So the, the EEO-1 reports have become the basis since, frankly, since we started Honeytree in 2018, before then, was, it was a bit of a mess and a, a lack of standardized data. But the Department of Labor reporting Um, has really done a lot of driving. But most large corporations have settled on the GRI format, which I'm not going to go into acronyms or what it means, but it's basically when you look at a sustainability report, which is 200 pages, you go to the last five pages, and it's the list of standardized workforce and environmental and kind of governance-related outputs that auditors are now using to report. And so that's kind of solidified globally globally the big companies anyways and the smaller companies are catching up this kind of useful set of quantitative esg data um where you're looking at year over year data so now all the companies we look at are reporting gender diversity in leadership roles year over year racial diversity in leadership roles year over year water use year over year you know waste recycling emissions And there's a lot of qualitative stuff in there. And there's a million other things you can look at. But we've gone from not standardized data in 2018 to a good chunk of large publicly listed companies reporting it in the same format.
1: So I'm loving it. And so transparency is very important. So, of course, this is an opportunity for you to tell more about Honeytree Investment Management and how to learn more about ESG products. So we're a very new and small firm. We're one of the few
2: woman-owned ESG shops in the world, which is fascinating how little um, gender and racial diversity there is in asset management ownership. Um, I invite everybody to check out our website, honeytreeinvest.com, where we have about 25 blogs all on ESG um, slash investment-related topics, lots of podcasts conferences and things like that. Um, There are so many resources, whether it's your advisor, uh, you know, a fund company website. The US SIF is my favorite if you're an investment professional or you like the geeky investment stuff. We hope to launch uh, a vehicle so advisors and investors can access our strategy. But just like regular investing, there's everything from passive to systematic to active. um, And there's there's a whole bunch of you know other uh, other ways that folks do ESG so th- there's not one right way to do it um so in your research don't assume that you know whether you know it's Goldman or UBS or whoever is you know there there's many many ways and many um approaches and there's there there might not be exactly what fits your needs now but in the next 5 to 10 years we'll have an even broader set of investment options and it'll be very exciting and the data will be more standardized and more exciting and we'll have maybe even more firms that are diversely owned uh you know selling esg strategies i mean that's the that's that's the most important thing if we're, if we're we as an industry are going to sell diversity linked products we as an industry need to do a lot better at the diversity thing because it's about three or four percent of leadership in asset management is women and the racial diversity numbers aren't even counted um, and so we, we we have a lot of work to do beyond just building good products. Um, we need to enact change in our industry because that's, that's what the end client also wants.
1: So well said. Yes, it is ever-evolving new strategies are developing every quarter. And so it's so important to check out all the resources, particularly US SIF, United
0: States Sustainable Investment Forum, and others. So back to you, Hope. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you, ladies. Wow, Liz, that was an amazing education that you just shared with all of us. So, thank you so much for being on this week's episode of Margaritas with Margarita Chang, CFP Pro. I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, producer of the show. You just learned from Liz Simi, co founder of Honey Tree Investment Management. So, thank you, Rita. Thank you, Liz. And thank you to all of our listeners and viewers. We will be back next week with another episode. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for being part of our incandescent radio and TV family. This is Hope Katz Gibbs, founder of Incandescent Incorporated, the PR and publishing company for women entrepreneurs. Our incandescent radio and TV shows are brought to you by our advertisers and clients. Margaritas with Margarita Chang, CFP Pro, brings us 15 minutes of tips every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern on Facebook Live, where you'll meet experts who are helping us flex our financial muscles. Find all of the episodes at margaritachang.com. You'll also meet intuitive psychotherapist Kara Keem, who interviews therapists and other intuitive guides from around the world. Learn more at karakeen.com, And you're going to love social justice expert Karen Hanrahan, CEO of the San Francisco-based Glide Memorial Foundation. She bridges the gap from local impact to global change on her thought leadership show on incandescent radio. Learn more about Karen at karenhanrahan.com. You're also going to love Alina Liao, founder of the radical wellness journaling company zenitjournals.com. Alina asks, have you tried to journal but found it hard to keep up? Zenit makes it easier to journal for your wellness. With Zenit, you can customize your journal with prompts that speak to you. No more blank pages. Your Zenit is your personalized space to take care of yourself. Website, ZenitJournals.com. Feel it, write it, Zenit. You'll also meet amazing Tracy Schott, founder of VoicesForChange.com. Tracy is determined to change the world and end domestic violence. Learn more at voicesforchange.net. And we are so thrilled to be publishing a book for Angela Mitchell, who is the tech expert of case management. And she's also the founder of this fabulous organization, Kids Code Two. She is determined to teach kids to code computers, talk about teaching a kid to fish. We invite you to discover and peruse all the Incandescent Incorporated websites, the magazine for women, by women, about women, incandescentwomen.com. Our health and wellness magazine is beincandescent.com, the business of mind, body, spirit, soul, and heart. Our YouTube channel is incandescent.tv. And you can learn about our PR and book publishing services at incandescent.us. If you'd like to have your own radio and video show, check us out at incandescentradio.com, where you can see what we can do for you. These podcasts are also featured on iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Our podcasts are produced by Brandy Wilsker. Our videos are produced by Nelson Benavides. Our website developer is Max Kukoy, and our incandescent illustrator and designer is Michael Glenwood Gibbs. If you'd like to learn more, please send me an email, hope at Here is to your incredible indelible, incandescent success. Much love and many thanks.